welcome to episode 471 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's Monster Kid Radio, and we are in week two of Lucha de Mayo. It is the month that we celebrate all things Luchador monster movies here on the podcast. My name is Derek M. Cook, the writer, host, and producer of this here show. I'd like to welcome you to the show by playing a song from the band Beware the Dangers of a Ghost Scorpion. Now, they've been a band that has supported Monster Kid Radio from almost the very beginning. They were one of the very first bands that I played way back when I first launched the show. They're actually one of my favorite bands that I've discovered through doing the show, and they have a new album coming out very, very soon. You can pick up the single right now, and that's what you're hearing in the background. The song is called Me and Him Are Gonna Beat You Up. And I think that title matches for what we're talking about this week on the show because it is, well, an luchador monster movie, kind of. It's a little out of the box, a little different. It actually features a luchador that we've never talked about here on the show, and that is Neutron, sometimes known as Neutron the Atomic Superman or the Atomic Man. And we're going to talk about Neutron and his adventures fighting the death robots in this week's movie with fellow podcaster Jonathan Inbody. He picked the movie, folks, so it's his fault. So we've got that coming up. Plus, we've got Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, of course. I also want to talk a little bit about what's happening this upcoming weekend with the Revenge of Social Distance Saturday. Social Distance Saturday is the weekly, I guess we can call it a series now, where I am hosting anywhere from 9 to 11 hours of monster movies, TV shows, and all sorts of other fun stuff over on the Monster Kid Radio Twitch channel, which you can find at twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Here's what normally happens. Around 11 o'clock, I start the pre-show, and this is something that you know, it might be a movie, it might be a documentary, it might be just a collection of trailers or TV shows. Basically, it's just something to kind of get everybody warmed up. That starts at 11 a.m. Pacific time, and then slightly after noon, we start the movies proper. And there is a live chat going all bloody day because it's over on Twitch and Twitch has a chat box and I'm there and there are so many other listeners and viewers hanging out, just chatting it up, having a good time watching these TV shows and movies. You can cash in some of your, uh, whatever they're called, your points or whatever Twitch calls them to ask D anything. So I'll answer whatever questions you have. Also, every once in a while at the very end, there might be a secret screening with some other stuff that I might show. That's always kind of up in the air. What's not up in the air is what movies we're going to be playing this week. I thought I'd give you guys and gals a heads up if you wanted to make some time to join us. We're going to be showing The Giant Spider, which is Christopher R. Mims' film from 2013. We're going to be showing Carnival of Souls, classic film. We're going to be showing Bloodlust, which is a movie that is... Uh, a, which is a movie. How's that? which is an adaptation of The Most Dangerous Game from the 60s, starring Robert Reed. You might also know him as Mike Brady. Yeah, we're going to be showing Mike Brady this weekend. We'll be showing an episode of One Step Beyond and the Larry Buchanan um, classic, The Attack of the Eye Creatures. Now, that's not all that we're going to be showing. We're going to be trailers and commercials and other fun stuff. We've also been playing some live rounds of the Classic Five, and of course, you are more than welcome to join us for the entire day, or if you just want to pop in for a little while and then pop back out, that's fine too. Everybody's welcome, and it's always free. Again, that's twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. I look forward to uh, 
well, I'd say seeing you there, but it's all through chat. So I look forward to chatting with you this weekend. I'm also looking forward to getting on to the rest of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. So here we go. like this. Run for your life. Run. Run before it is too late. For if you stay, you will lose your soul. Coming closer, closer, closer is an enemy from outer space. From out of this world it came. A horrifying terror that threatened mankind, haunting and possessing every human being within range. An indestructible danger beyond all earthly understanding. Vincent Broadhead is dead. Dead? I watched him die a few hours ago in that plant. His whole body covered with some kind of corrosive poisoning, eaten away. It poisoned everything it touched. The mind and the body of man was no longer in his control. They ran from this unknown menace, but there was no escape. We're holding this block. We've got to. At least until the oxygen takes the place. What's in those doors, mister? Yes, but as it kills. Inside those domes are creatures from outside this earth. Ah, you mad. I've seen them. Thousands of tiny creatures that can join together and expand into things a hundred feet high. In 1972, American TV networks canceled 12 TV shows for crimes they didn't commit. These shows were promptly forgotten by the public and faded into obscurity. Today, Chris Cooling researches these shows for a podcast. If there's a TV show that no one else remembers, and if you have earbuds, maybe you can listen to Forgotten TV. Two giant monster films. The War of the Gargantuas and Monster Zero. See the two mighty Gargantuas battle to the death. And on the same program, Rodan and Godzilla join forces to destroy the deadly Monster Zero. The War of the Gargantuas and Monster Zero. Both in color. Rated G. General audience from United Productions of America. A subsidiary of DEI Industries. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This week we are going to continue our issue-by-issue examination of films covered with article-length features and famous monsters. We are up to issue 20 from November of 1962. This issue included articles about John Carradine and Ray Harryhausen, but no specific film merited coverage. Let's move to issue 21, which features a scene from Bride of Frankenstein on its cover, and includes a film book on this classic sequel. The article takes up 40% of the issue's 100 pages and is loaded with 57 photos. It starts with this intro from Uncle Forey. I was alive in 1935 and as a guest of the president of the company that produced the picture, saw a preview of The Bride of Frankenstein on the Universal lot. 
I saw a lot more of what was shot, the full hour and a half, than what most of you are probably used to on television, the 75-minute version clipped of a quarter hour. Here, after a lapse of 27 years, is the complete story of The Bride of Frankenstein as I remember it. A full detailed synopsis takes up the bulk of the article. Here is how the famous scene with the blind hermit was described. That night, the monster came across a hut in the woods. In it lived an old hermit, a blind man who enjoyed playing a tune on his violin after a lonely repast. The hungry monster stood outside a window and was intrigued by the strains of music. A noise it made betrayed its presence, and the hermit came to the door to invite it in. Being blind, the hermit was the first adult human being who did not shrink in horror from the first sight of the monster. You are welcome, my friend, whoever you are, said the hermit. There was something queer about the old man's eyes which the monster but dimly understood. The white-bearded one looked and yet did not seem to see, and there was kindness in his blank stare. The monster whimpered like a hurt animal, and the bewildered hermit reacted. Oh, my poor friend, come in, you are welcome. My poor friend, these were strange words, words no one had ever used to the monster before. Their meaning was not clear, but the tone, it was something new, different from the usual harsh, strident, angry, fearful, menacing sounds made by human beings. Tentatively, the monster took a step through the open doorway. A hand clasp of friendliness fell upon its shoulder. It grunted its satisfaction when soothing hands touched its wounded head. After the explosive finale is described, the article continues with notes about the film's history and reception. These include a publicity release from Universal CEO Carl Lemley, Variety's review of the film, and a short list of facts which include these. Carlo's costume was 62 pounds. Each shoe weighed 21 pounds. John Carradine had a brief role in the film. Bride used many more sets than were common for films of that time, including the 70-foot tower laboratory. A fake stand-in for Karloff was built so that a real stand-in wouldn't need to be made up. One story idea considered that the brain of Victor's bride would be used for the monster's bride after the monster had killed her. Karloff lost 20 pounds during the making of the movie. Before his tragic death, director James Well was in talks with Ray Bradbury for a new film project. The monster's makeup was a gray-green and 1 16th of an inch thick. Michael Egremont wrote the 252-page novelization of the film. There was also a brief obituary for Dwight Fry, who had passed that year. I got a kick out of this newspaper clipping from 1935. The sequel concludes after unearthly din and much excitement with an explosion. This reduces the unholy laboratory to a heap of grit and gravel. Probably this will hold the monster until next year when he crawls out of the debris for the premiere of Frankenstein's Baby, featuring some Shirley Temple with a couple of rivets in her neck. Once this point is reached, the future should be fairly easy. The monster family traversing the route blazed at Universal for the Coens and Kellys. In due time will turn out the Frankensteins on a gunboat, the Frankensteins at Putman Hall, the Frankensteins out west, the Frankensteins at Hahatonka, etc. If they are all as exciting as this one, they will be quite welcome. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios.
Okay. I know that Famous Monsters of Filmland was being facetious. There are no movies called Frankenstein's Baby, Frankenstein's Gunboat, and so on. But I'd really wish there was. I would love to watch Frankenstein's Baby, and specifically, I would love to watch Frankenstein out west. Don't anybody get any ideas, though, because, well, I'm cooking something up. You might hear a little bit more about by the end of the year, if not early next year. But yeah, Frankenstein Out West sounds amazing. Almost as amazing as this segment always does. Kenny, thank you so much for knocking it out of the park every week. Love to have you being part of the show, and I love these segments. Kenny, you're the man. Witches, demons, man-made monsters all make up the news tonight, and we'll have more after this. Night of the Witches and Dr. Frankenstein on campus. Never before has the screen dared such cold, unspeakable terror. Tales of vampirism, supernatural horrors, medieval demonology, and coffins in the castle dungeon occupied by day, empty by night. You will believe the most unimaginable grip of cold, dead horror ever felt, ever shown on any screen. Night of the Witches and Dr. Frankenstein on campus, shown together in a bond of eternal fiendship. <laughs> the management has agreed to provide nurse and ambulance service for stricken patrons. Rated R. <laughs> he runs as though the devil himself is in pursuit. And well he might. For he saw what no man has ever seen before. It's on its way. The man on the main gate had it just like the others. It's coming in on the west side. Look! There it is on the roof! Three experts in science and security need a band of men who try to find a way to exterminate X, the unknown terror. Only to find a tunnel of fear from which there is no escape. Dean Jagger as Professor Royston, top secret scientist. Edward Chapman, Elliot, in charge of lab operations. Leo McKern, Inspector McGill, security officer. Night falls on the great halls of Frenzywood. Chris and Jerry read this week's comics with a sense of terror and foreboding. Which books will they enjoy and which will unsettle them with an eerie mood striking into their very souls? They work their way through the rare and mysterious tomes to find those worthy of your attention. A knock comes to the door bringing something strange and otherworldly that no one has ever seen before. It's The Professor Frenzy Show! Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy Show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy Show. If you like indie comics and also like podcasts, please try The Professor Frenzy Show. Find the show in iTunes Search and Facebook. Episodes tweeted out on at Professor Frenzy on Twitter. Thank you. Buenas noches. 
filmmaker, an author, a podcaster, and a friend. Welcome back to Monster Kid Radio, sir. Thank you. I, I believe you forgot Renaissance Man. That's the way I've been introducing myself lately. So Is that on your business card? It's not, but I do need to have just a business card that just says Renaissance Man and nothing else so that nobody's actually clear on what it is that I do. <laughs> I don't know why this is the energy I'm bringing, but thanks for having me back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm thrilled to have you back. You know, we've had John before for Lucha de Mayo, and I'm still saying it right. Uh, so we've had John before uh, for that, and I wanted to have you back on. Uh, you always bring those interesting movies to the table. I mean, when we did Santo and the Blob, I was like, wow, that was a fun time, even though it was a little weird. So, yeah, I wanted to have you back on, and you picked this movie, but I don't want to talk about the movie yet because I want to talk about you. Oh, sure. There's a book that either just came out or is coming out that has one of your short stories yes yeah, so well i've got a couple okay one that recently just came out right at the start of may it's a collection called Raygun retro it's all short stories that are like retro sci-fi and i have a story for it called a wolfman on mars which i think really for your audience like that's right in their cue zone of exactly what they would want and it's yeah it's and <laughs> it was a, a a lot of fun to write it's from uh, zombie pirate publishing the collection is they've uh published uh one of my short stories before it's a great little collection with a bunch of great authors, and I'm really excited about it. So if you guys want to look up Break on Retro, check it out. It's super cool. I think you'll really like my story. I think my story is actually the first one in the book, so you might be able to read some of it on the Amazon page for Ray on Retro as well if you want you know, some proof of concept. Right on. But okay. either way, any of my short stories and stuff, if you go to uh, Amazon.com slash author slash Jonathan Embody, you can find any of the collections that my short stories have been in. I've had like five or six published and a bunch of drabbles that are like I have like 30 of those that are those are like 100 word short stories. But you can follow my writing work there if you like. And I would appreciate it. Sounds good. I'll make sure there's a link to Raygun Retro in the show notes. It'll be that special Amazon affiliate link so that you're helping to support not just Monster Kid Radio, but you're supporting Jonathan as well and getting his work out there. I'm eager to read this story, man. I don't know if you've told me the name of the story before. And if you have, I forgot it. So either way, it's like, wow, that sounds cool. 
I've been doing a lot of uh, uh, werewolf stuff recently. Like I just had, um, well, you've seen it. The I, I just did a short film that's uh, werewolf adjacent, I guess is the way that I'll put that. Well, you don't want to give it away. Yeah, I can't talk too much about that. But, <laughs> you know, at some point that'll be online to be watched. Yeah, there was a, a short film that I'm imagining would have been shown in some festivals by now, if not. Yeah, pretty much. For the state of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's just kind of sitting there and I'm just waiting to see when the world will start back up and when it can actually be shown. And then once it's had like a little festival season run, then I'll uh, I'll put it on YouTube and uh, I'll come back on Monster Kid Radio to promote it and tell everybody to watch it. Right on. And if we're still doing the social distance Saturday screenings with your permission, we'll run it as well like we did with yes. the Unearthed a couple of weeks back. Yes, absolutely. Get some more in-buddy all over the place. That yes. sounded awful. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's not the worst pun that's been made with my last name. <laughs> oh, boy. Which actually, um, I don't know if you want to include also the uh, link to Unearthed uh, in the show notes as well. But that's my previous short film. It's like a mm-hmm. mummy throwback black and white uh, universal horror style short as well that I did like last year. Yeah, no. The Unearthed. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. the one that we showed a couple weeks back, and uh, it's pretty cool, too. Now, that's you in there, right? That's yes. you? Yes. Yeah, I am in Unearthed. I am the main character of Unearthed. The Lunatic, luckily, I did not have to act in. I, I don't like acting in my own stuff if I can help it, so I'm glad that I didn't have to. But Unearthed like came together basically pretty quick, where I just wrote the script and was talking to a friend of mine who's uh, worked with me on film projects before, and he was like, well, do you want to just shoot it and get it out there? And you know, it's worked out pretty well, but that one kind of was thrown together in a way that the lunatic is not The lunatic came together much more of uh, getting actual like professionals from around Buffalo where I live to come together and make it together. And I'm very proud of it whenever it gets out there. Yeah. Keep us posted for sure. Cause we mm-hmm. want to help push it here on MKR, not just because I did some of the sound effects for you, but yes. uh, yeah, I'm just eager to see how it goes. Cause I've watched it numerous times and it's a fun little short, man. I dig it. So hopefully people will be able to see it sooner rather than later. Yes. Let's hope. But I'm, you know, everything's just on hold now. So, (laughs) right. I'm just waiting. I understand, man. I understand. Yeah. Filmmaking is a a collaborative art Mm -hmm. and or business. You can't really do it on your own unless you're either doing something really experimental or animated. So yeah. And I'm not making unfriended movies. So yeah, that's the thing, right? Yeah. It's hard. (laughs) You can't do that over zoom or Skype really. I don't know. Maybe somebody should do a Zoom horror movie now at this point. I wonder how that would look. Oh, I'm sure there's like eight of them already in production. <laughs> true. True. That's going to be the next year of film festivals is going to be all like one character shorts that people filmed <laughs> during quarantine. Right on. And now is there another book coming out later? On? Yes. I think I remember you saying something about June, right? Yes. In June, I have uh, a short story called Torsaker's Reef that is coming out in a uh, collection of cosmic horror called Deep Sea, uh, Deep Sea Volume 1. That's from uh, Black Hair Press. Basically, like that'll be coming out midway through June. I'm also very proud of the story in that it's my first like cosmic horror thing that I've gotten published. It feels good to be uh, working in that genre because I love it so much. So uh, be on the lookout for that. I'm sure I will either... Uh, when that comes out, post a link on the, the Monster Kid Radio Facebook page with your permission, of course. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah, we we support our own, man. It's all good. Well, I wish you the best of luck with all that, uh, of course. Uh, this Raygun Retro book definitely looks right up my alley. And uh, it's part of Kindle Unlimited right now. So I think I'll be picking that up when we're done recording here. Awesome. Yeah, you got to let me know what you think. Yeah, Wolfman on Mars is is like written for you and me and, and all of your listeners. <laughs> oh, it sounds like it. It sounds like it. Right on. So... Let's see. What else do we do? Oh, yeah. We play a game with everybody. 
The Classic Five. The Classic Five! So The Classic Five, for people who don't know or haven't been paying attention or just brand new listeners, The Classic Five is a game that we play here on Monster Kid Radio every time we have somebody on, at least when I remember. Each card has a this or that, which movie do you prefer style question. There are no wrong answers. It's just a way to get Monster Kids talking or keep them talking. Jonathan, are you ready to play The Classic Five? Let's hope. I always get nervous. (laughs) Ah, uh, no, there are no wrong answers, man. There are no wrong answers whatsoever. I'll find one. Don't worry. <laughs> no, this is just all fun. This is all fun. <laughs> oh, okay. First card right off the top. It comes from the Kaiju expansion. Okay. Mm. What city do you want to see a Kaiju destroy right now? And we are not a political podcast. Let me just put that out there. Yeah, I was sorely tempted there. I, <laughs> I still will say DC because I think DC has interesting landmarks to destroy. Okay. I, I think any of the national monuments would be cool to watch a kaiju smash through just for that same like, oh man, I can't believe it feeling that you get like when the White House gets blown up in Independence Day and all that kind of stuff. I think in Earth versus the Flying Saucers, isn't there some of that? Oh yeah, there is. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So yeah, now I'm just imagining that with kaiju. Yeah. I'm imagining like King Kong, like snapping off the Washington Monument and using it as a baseball bat, you know, like that's, that's where I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair enough. I like it. I like it. <laughs> If that tells you anything about my thought process, that's where I went first. (laughs) All right, card number two. What classic movie monster would you want to see in a science fiction setting? Ooh, that's interesting. In a science fiction setting, I kind of want to see a... uh, I mean, you already wrote Werewolf on the Moon, so, you know. Yeah, that's true. That is kind of... I've been doing some of that, but I kind of want to see mummies in sci-fi. Like, maybe a mummy of an alien creature. You know, that'd be something. Hmm. I feel like I've seen something like this. It's not the fourth Indiana Jones, but I feel like there's something I've seen. Life force. I mean, that's vampires, but still. Yeah. They're kind of mummies, too. Yeah, true. Okay. I mean, I'll I'll make that movie. Somebody, if somebody wants to pay me to make (laughs) mummies in space. Working title, but. (laughs) Let's start the Kickstarter campaign now. uh... (laughs) Already getting it set up. I like it. All right, card number two, or three, excuse me, three. Dwight Fry in Dracula is Renfield or in Frankenstein is Fritz? I got to go with Renfield. Renfield is, I, I just love the character type of Renfield. Like, I love the all the weird little details, like the eating flies and just generally being a maniac. Like, I just love it. He's just charmingly insane. <laughs> he has more of a journey in that film, too. Yeah. Fritz is just all evil all the time, whereas you, know, you get to see him... You get to see him really kind of, well, like I said, go on a journey. It's not a good one, but <laughs> you get to see more Dwight Fry as an actor who really was an underrated actor. I really wish yeah, definitely. we had more of him out there. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. All right. Uh, next card. What? Oh, if you had to colorize a universal monster movie, which one would it be? Oh, I mean, I don't want to. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but if you, if man, you had to, if I had to, had to. Man, if they're like threatening me, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I guess, I guess Bride of Frankenstein, it would be interesting to do some weird colors for like the little homunculi guys. Like, I think that'd be an interesting Ooh. one to, um, cause the tone of that one gets so silly in in a good way where mm-hmm. I think it'd be interesting to make some weird, add some weird splashes of color to that and make it kind of a, like a Andy Warhol esque kind of color scheme to it. And somehow I think James Whale would be okay with that. I think he would approve, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. All right, final card. What's your favorite Val Luton film? I mean, gotta go with Cat People, right? Like, 
Hey, I'm asking you, man. I I mean, I'm just trying to think like, is there a way to, uh, yeah, I don't know. Cause that's, that's like a favorite versus best question for me, but I think cat people is where I'm going to come down on either side of that. Okay. Like cat people is just such a well put together movie that I can't not choose. Across the centuries comes this exciting story of a modern girl cursed by an ancient legend, the legend of the cat people, women whose kiss means death, whose love turns them into vicious, snarling beasts of prey. And I think I've said this on the show before. Val Luton's one of those filmmakers where whenever I watch a Val Luton film, that particular one becomes my favorite. And it doesn't matter if I've seen it before or if it's a brand new thing or whatever. I watch The Leopard Man. That one becomes my favorite because it's the most recent one because they're all just so good. Uh, I actually have an episode on Isle of the Dead coming out in June nice. with uh, returning guest Paul McComas. And uh, I'm looking forward to editing that and getting that out there because now that one's my current favorite because that was the most recent Val Luton film I've seen. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's a good way to get enthusiasm for for all the episodes about Val Luton movies. They're great, man. I, I can't think mm-hmm. of a Val Luton genre picture that I dislike. I have to admit, I've not seen his non-genre work, and I know there's very little of it out there, but I just yeah. haven't taken that plunge yet. But yeah, I'm Cat People. Mm. So uh, good, it's, man. It's hard to deny. Cat People is such an instant classic, too. Like, the second you watch it, you're like, oh, I understand exactly why people love this movie. Well, there's a reason why Criterion put it out. Yeah, absolutely. You know? All right, well, that was the Classic Five. I think you did just fine. Uh, yeah, I did okay this time. <laughs> you did okay. No, you did fine. You did you did well enough that you won the game, even though I said there, there are no wrong answers. Your prize is that you get to talk to me about a luchador film. It's everything I've always wanted. This is one that you picked. <laughs> this I one did. is on you. I'll take the blame. <laughs> what, what is the movie? The movie is Neutron the Atomic Superman, also called Neutron the Atomic Superman versus the Death Robots. And uh, fun fact... Neutron is both not an atomic Superman and there's not death robots in this. Yeah, I'm thinking something probably got lost in the translation. Yeah, the dub in general feels like they're really trying to cover up what the movie's about. (laughs) It makes it really (laughs) confusing and muddy to try and figure out what the plot of this movie is at points. Right? Boy, this one, um, this was a first time watch for me. Mm. I had never seen it before. I have never seen any of the Neutron films, and I know there were a few. And I know the lead actor, Neutron, Wolf Ravinsky's, is an important dude when it comes to these luchador films, you know? Yeah, he's been a bad guy in a bunch of them. He's been a bad guy in a bunch of them, and he's the only one who really had a leading role in these luchador films that wasn't really Mexican, which I find interesting. Right, yeah. Yeah, I did, that didn't even really occur to me, though. I guess Wolf should have kind of tipped me off to that. <laughs> it was from Latvia <laughs> and uh, came over. Uh, I can't remember why read why, but there's a reason why his family fled and ended up over in South America and then went from there. And then he began wrestling when he was 19 years old, and ultimately that transitioned into the films. Yeah, and I, I haven't seen any of the other Neutron movies. I've seen this one I because I, uh, I had seen this as a Riff Tracks version uh, a couple of years ago. And then when Lucha de Mayo was coming back around and you were like, Hey, do you want to come back? I was like looking through prime and trying to see what was uh, there. And this was on here. So I suggested it cause I remembered it being crazy and having vampire monkey men <laughs> as, as the monsters in it. <laughs> so I want to assume this has to be at least the second movie in the neutron series, because there are plot threads that were clearly, set up in the first movie. I don't also think that if I watched the first movie, I would still understand everything that happens in this one. (laughs) (laughs) 
it feels like there's a lot that they're just not going to tell you as the audience. It does seem to uh, zip along pretty quick and just kind of yeah. skipping over a lot. Uh, let's see. There was this film, uh, Neutron versus the Maniac and Neutron, I'm guessing against Dr. Yeah, whatever that is translated into. Uh, Those were films that came out afterwards. This one is 1962, and I think I see, yeah, there's at least one other Neutron film in 1960 that I'm not going to try to pronounce because I'll get it wrong. Yeah, I wonder if the other Dr. Caronte one comes before this one because Dr. Caronte is the bad guy of this one, and they talk about how he's supposedly dead at the beginning of Bunch. Yeah, that's true, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Or maybe that's like the next one and it's like another, I don't know. It doesn't matter. (laughs) I'm not going to (laughs) speculate. So the thing about this movie feels to me like it is a precursor to what we would come to know as the traditional Lucha Libre films. It feels like this is something that maybe the Santo and Blue Demon films, I was going to say saw, but movies can't see other movies. You know what I mean? It feels like it's something (laughs) that was produced before. And then the filmmaker said, okay, let's like that. And, uh, let's do something similar and amp it up a little bit because it doesn't have some of the hallmarks of a lot of the Santo or blue demon or Mil Mascaras films. There's no real long extended wrestling scene anywhere. Yeah. But they replace it with like three really long singing scenes. And like two of them have the female lead singing at the club. But then there's one that's just like a, mariachi band that's just like three minutes in the middle of the movie and you saw that in some of the santo films as well i mean this was a a staple of a lot of mexican cinema in general just Mm -hmm. having the singing moment i mean ship of monsters which is a fantastic film someday i'll cover here on the show (laughs) great monsters and then hey it's a musical too so (laughs) you know this, this is something that happened back then but it really feels like a lot of it was padded and it just doesn't have the same vibe that I get from a Mascaris or Blue Demon film. All the singing scenes, just as a side note, reminded me a lot of the singing bits from War of the Gargantuas. Oh, yeah. Where it was like the exact same setup of like, hey, just don't pay attention to those monsters for a while. We've got this other thing to show you. Yeah. <laughs> Except there was never the moment of like the Gargantuas coming in and, and wrecking stuff around the singer and, you know, the club going to chaos and this, right. unfortunately. Yeah. And that kind of would have redeemed those scenes for me. If, if the, the ape vampire robot things showed up and just started throwing stuff at the club. Yeah. It would have been great. When you see these scenes straight up in some of the other films, uh, the movie that we're going to be talking about next week uh, with Kenny, it's a blue demon film. And there are some scenes where blue demon doesn't go, but some other characters go to like a, go-go dancer place, whatever. And so there are some extended dance numbers, but it's interwoven within what's going on in the story. Uh, I've seen other movies with like Santo and Mamascus and Blue Demon going out with their ladies to a club and, you know, there's singers and all that doing their thing and there's a musical number, but again, it still seems a little bit more connected. Whereas this one, this doesn't relate to me. With the Santo one, some of the spy oriented Santo ones have him like going to that club to like meet an informant. Like there's a story reason to go there. And in this one, the character of Nora, most of the time doesn't even feel like she needs to be in the movie. It feels like she's in the movie to give an excuse for the musical scenes rather than to really add to the plot. That's exactly the vibe and impression that I got here when it comes to this movie, which again makes me feel like this could have been like a precursor to what we would see later, but there were Santo movies coming out the same year this one came out and they already were developing their own formula. This just kind of seems like this weird kind of side thing. Like, well, luchador adjacent to use the phrase you used earlier, adjacent. It's like luchador adjacent to me because there's no yeah. real wrestling. Uh, there's a lot of fist fights 
That's cool. Mm-hmm. But you see that in action movies. You know, this could have been a martial arts film. This could have been. It's it's like trying to be a mad scientist movie. It's trying to be a superhero movie. And it's trying to like, it's using the luchador aesthetic on top of those two things. Right. Yeah. In terms of the look, in terms of how they yeah. treat the luchador totally different because again and i, I yes. think that we keep going back or that i keep going back to santo and blue demon and all these it's hard not to though they're you know they're the classics they're, 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 they're the tropes of the gotta love them. yeah uh in this people don't seem to trust neutron there's a whole lot of no who is that man under the mask whereas with santo and blue demon that's just who they are they are blue demon they are santo they are mimascris we're not trying to unmask them to figure out who they really are we're going to take their help because that's what they do they're the heroes with neutron there seems to be this weird not even like Batman-esque. I mean, it's just this weird kind of, do we trust the guy in the mask? Who is that person really trying to figure it out? It's like, you're just muddying up the story here. Just let him do his thing, man. In superhero tropes, he's got the like kind of the normal person power set. He can't like teleport or fly or really even have super strength. Santo, they kind of give like, not really super strength, but they basically have him have super strength. Pretty much, Whereas yeah. with, with Neutron... Neutron, it feels like the scenes where Neutron is interacting with the cops. It reminds me a lot of Daredevil comics oh, where the cops yeah. are all kind of treating him just like he's just a crazy person. You know, that, that's probably a better comparison than like Batman. Yeah, it's a very he's a vigilante. We don't trust him. Kind of you're nuts. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. And it's a grounded world. And they're being like, why is this guy dressed like the devil here? You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or in Neutron's case, why is this guy in a black mask here? Yeah. They repeatedly use the phrase black mask and, you know, black, the black hatted cowboy being the bad, you know, there's, it, there, there's really nothing here to make him seem like he's this, this bastion of, of heroism that the community looks up to. It's just a guy in a black mask running around thinking he's a superhero type. I wonder if they didn't switch the costumes for Neutron and Dr. Caronte at some point, like prior to making the series, because Dr. Caronte is all in white. Like he looks like Storm Shadow from G.I. Joe. Like he's like fully only wearing white. I actually liked that look a lot. I like the short sleeves and white gloves. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And then the way he just walks around his lab holding hands with with Nick, his little person sidekick. Okay. It's really cute. It, it's, oh boy. Um, it's really adorable. <laughs> they, they're just good friends. It's adorable until you realize that that's, despite his actual height, a full grown man being treated like a child, which does sometimes happen with little people. And it's unfortunate. It's messed up to treat little people like they're chimps. Yeah. And this movie has a real bad case of that. Yeah. And even the dubbing, the voice they gave him yes. is pretty awful. Ugh. Yeah. They, they give him like this, like, eh, like raspy kind of like, it's no good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, like Watto from Phantom Menace, but even worse. You know, yeah, there's a very exactly stereotypical. Like yeah, it's awful. It really is. I mean, and this is something you'd see in a handful of these movies too, but typically mm-hmm. those characters are, or those, yeah, those characters are able to do what they need to do. They're independent thinkers. They don't need to be led around by their hand. You know, they're just dudes. They just happen to be shorter than everybody else, you know? Whereas yeah. this guy, it just, I can't imagine being an actor and being a little person and, and, trying to find roles that yeah don't do it's, that and it's uncomfortable too like mm-hmm. the the climax of this movie eventually becomes dr caronte and neutron are fighting and dr caronte just keeps yelling instructions to nick the primary like 
tension of the climax is like, can Nick pull a lever even though he's real small and the lever is real big? It, it was funny and sad at the same time and in equal parts. Yeah, there's um, there's an absurdity to it, uh, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's where it comes to the, some of the laughter, some of the giggling comes from. Is that it's just so absurd. It's not... It's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. It's not, ha, 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 look at the little guy. It's it's just awkward and absurd. Mm. It, it, yeah, it really does make me feel for uh, the actor who played Nick. It's it's a bummer that this is what, you know, like mm-hmm. good on him for being able to have the job. But I, I just I want to really like talk to that guy and be like, hey, are you OK with this? Or is this something that they're just making you do? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I don't know who that actor is. You know, the yeah language barrier between me and the Luchador films popping up again. I, I can't read Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. And a lot of these films don't have English written websites available for me to review. And that's not a failing of the film. It's just, I just don't know. Uh, there's some cultural ignorance on my end here. So I don't know who that guy was. Yeah. I think the dub changes some of the character names too. Like, I don't yeah. think, I don't think that character was named Nick in the Mexican cut of this. And I don't even think neutron was named neutron in the Mexican cut. Of Probably this. not. I, I think the whole neutron, the atomic Superman is literally just to put on a poster so you can play it at a drive in, mm-hmm. you know? He doesn't have powers. He's not an atomic Superman. He talks about a neutron bomb, but it could have been a different kind of uh, technology or a different kind of bomb that they dubbed over and called it the neutron bomb mm-hmm. to imply that he like got superpowers from it. Th- they do a lot of weird trying to uh, story spackle in this movie. Like they play a lot of games with trying to make you think there are connections between things to try and explain plot holes, yeah. which feels like the dubbers noticed that the movie made no sense in the script. <laughs> yeah, I don't, man, I would love to know what the original cut looks yeah. like for this. Um, and maybe there's a subtitled version out there somewhere I, that I just, if there is, I would love to see. Yeah, it. I would too. There is some cool stuff in this and it's directed yeah, by uh, Federico uh, Curiel. I don't I apologize for the last name, but he did a lot. Of, he did one of my absolute favorite luchador films, Mummies of Guanajuato. I love that movie. Oh, really? I mean, he, he also did the Brainiac, you know, great Mexican horror movie from what I hear. I've never seen mm. it, but, you know, <laughs> he did a handful. You should watch it. It's good. I keep hearing that. It's on my list. I swear one of these days I'll get to it. But I mean, he did Eventually. a handful of, of these movies. Uh, the Champions of Justice. I mean, that movie is oh, amazing. Yeah. Instant masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. So he knew what he was doing. (laughs) The movie is made very competently. It's just that the script, whether it's because of the dub, whether it's because of the, the story that they decided on, like it's probably a combination of things, but entire scenes go by where you don't really understand even how the characters are connected to each other. There's like a love triangle with Nora and Nick and James, I think are the other, or no Charles and James and Mark. There's like three guys and then Nora and, like, I, I still just can't tell any of the three guys apart, except that one of them has a mustache. <laughs> and there's supposed to be like a lot of drama of like Professor Thomas trying to figure out like one of them could be Neutron and he's like trying to investigate. But it just doesn't land because you just know basis of who these characters are, are or really even what they do. Like you kind of get a sense of one of them being like a news reporter. It's just incomprehensible plotting. And I don't know if it's the dub or the script, but, you know, someone is asleep at the wheel. 
I love your phrase, story spackle, man. That is exactly what's going on here, it feels like to me. They're trying to make everything make sense and establish the relationships, but they are so interchangeable most of the time anyway, yeah. with the exception of the one guy really wanting to know who Neutron is. Yes. It, it's really difficult to kind of keep everybody straight. And Neutron, and again, I'm going to blame this on the dub, he's got this... I'm a vigilante. I do this because I believe in justice and I'm going to help everybody. And that's what I do. Just very almost arrogant. Yeah. They make him really snide to professor Thomas, especially like he, yeah. he talks to professor Thomas, like he's a child. Mm -hmm. It's very off putting like the character of neutron. I find him kind of charming because of that, but it feels like that's not something that they're intentionally doing. It feels like it's kind of a, um, even if I can find joy in it, it's not that they're doing that because they think that's an interesting setup. They just wanted to make him like Mr. Authoritative superhero guy, and he just comes off like a real jerk. And sometimes I'm okay with that. I've talked about Brian Donlevy being my preferred quater mask when it comes to the Hammer films, and he's because he's got this gruff kind of, I'm doing science, mm -hmm. get out of my way so I can do the science. He's a great jerk. I mean, he's great, and I really like that approach. You know, he's just so focused on the science, and this is what I'm going to do, and well, everything just went to hell. I guess we'll just start over tomorrow. You know, no big <laughs> deal, whatever. And, and I get a little bit of that out of neutron but there's just something less charming about it for me neutron almost has like very little character other than that kind of that arrogance that that we've just been talking about like they spend a lot of time questioning who he is but they don't really explore who he is like neutron doesn't have like he's just i fight bad guys the character you know there's nothing else really like he doesn't have like a gimmick or a reason that he does it or like a calling card he just goes and beats up criminals and he seems to have a grudge against Dr. Caronte and maybe it's connected to the neutron bomb. They're just not interested in, in giving you enough information to be able to like actually understand what neutrons deal is, which felt odd to me. Again, this movie is painted in such broad strokes. You would think that yeah. a lot of this information would just be given to us, almost spoon-fed, just like, this is who this person is, this is who that person is, and they are going to fight, you know, yeah. but there's not... Of all the yeah. of all the movies that have weird opening narrations that tell you too much about the story, why doesn't this movie... Right. Like, even if you want to just do it just as the dubbers, and you want to say stuff that isn't true in the original film, but is, is true in this version of it, just have a thing where it's like, Neutron, the atomic Superman, got his powers from the neutron bomb and his arch nemesis, Dr. Caronte, who killed his scientist parents, like just give some kind of a backstory. Like it doesn't need to be anything like substantial, but something. Yeah. Establish the world a little bit more for us. And again, it can be painted yeah. in really broad strokes like the rest of the movie. It probably should be. So it fits. And maybe there yeah. is a previous neutron film where some of this is discussed, but I know that like the Blue Demon films and El Santo, you get a little bit, but not really. I think Mel Moskowitz gets yeah. more of a background than anybody else, but that doesn't even carry from film to film sometimes. I don't expect whatever the Neutron film before this one was, I don't expect that it was like Batman Begins. You know, like I don't expect that it was like, <laughs> let's see the reasons why Neutron does what he does. Let's dive in deep. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's what we need now is the Neutron origin story. So, neutron begins <laughs> neutron begins <laughs> and again if anyone wants to give me money i'll direct hey, it i'll do there it. there we go i'll write it i don't care. yeah 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 you know <laughs> yeah should we explain the like plot of this movie it's hard to do but we probably should right <laughs> and again it's painted in very broad strokes pretty pretty basic yeah um 
so yeah, Dr. Carante at the, <laughs> I was like, where do we start with yeah, this? Yeah, it really is kind of, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so at the beginning of the thing, Dr. Carante is supposedly dead. He died in presumably the climax of whatever the last movie was. Sure. Neutron is talking to Professor Thomas about reconstructing the neutron bomb. That's just a thing that's really important that they're just supposed to do. I believe uh, Professor Thomas says we must ensure world peace. And once I have the formula to the neutron bomb, we can all breathe easier. Because I wrote that down in my notes and I don't know what that means, but sure. Okay. (laughs) I guess. But Dr. Caronte, of course, is not dead. Uh, because we've just been talking about him and his his kind of wholesome, kind of weird fed, uh, friendship with uh, his little person sidekick, Nick. Oh, I, I caught that slip. I caught that slip, sir. <laughs> I caught the, the beginning of the word fetish coming out of your mouth. I caught that. I was like, can I get away with it? No. <laughs> Better back off of that one. <laughs> uh, well, that's, yeah. So, you know, everybody, if you watch this movie... <laughs> That's the vibe you get. He holds his hand when he walks from room to room. It's really weird, man. <laughs> it's just weird. Either they're like childhood friends or he's like, this is my, this is my live-in butler. You know, like it's. Yeah. You, you mentioned walking him around like a chimp. There's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of, I'm going to take care of my kid kind of vibe. You know, it's just yeah. bizarre. It's a mini me situation, but like a full on. Yeah, yeah. Taken to an uncomfortable degree. Yes, much more uncomfortable than the actual mini-me and Dr. Evil stuff, which is doing it as a joke. But Carante uh, also has the aforementioned death robots. I think I've been calling them vampire monkey men. They're That's what they look clones. like. They're like Sasquatch Planet of the Apes vampires. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Like it's It feels like five or six ideas <laughs> put together. He's growing them in his lab, and he, at one point... Like the first scene that you see uh, Dr. Caronte and Nick, Caronte just takes Nick around and like opens a couple of coolers and shows him the like clones of these things that are growing. Hey, look at this one. Hey, that's messed up. Yeah, this one looks pretty good. <laughs> like that's like a whole scene in this movie. <laughs> oh man, look at this. This is pretty gross. <laughs> pretty much the, the makeup, the character design of these things. He said Planet of the Apes. It really feels like some knockoff masks and whatever fake hair they happen to have around the studio that day. And uh, yeah, it's just really weird. It's a lot like the um, the aliens from uh, Mechagodzilla, like the, the mm. ape man, like which is a very clear rip of Planet of the Apes. Sure. It's weird that this wasn't made in the 70s when Planet of the Apes ripoffs were like a huge thing. Right. So aside from his little monkey man vampire clones, Carante also has three brains of professors who are working on the the neutron bomb and he's put them together into one big brain and it needs blood, lots of blood. Because that's how brains work. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, I feed my brain blood all the time, don't you? No, well, and I mix my brain up with Brenda's to get double smart. So, yeah, I totally get it. Exactly. Yeah. That's what you got to do. I I do want to address before uh, we get much further. This was not planned, but another one of the movies that we're talking about here during Lucha de Mayo. I just did it for the very first time, listeners, <laughs> and I blame Jonathan. Um, We've I, got I, it. I blame, I blame Neutron. Lucha de Mayo, uh, one of the movies that we're talking about here, does have disembodied brains that talk to the villain. In oh, It's a little nice. bit more, <laughs> I don't want to say explained, because how do you explain that? But... <laughs> 
it, it seems to make a little bit more sense than what we're seeing in this film. Yeah, I'm very confused by the method with, like, how did he combine three brains into one big brain? Did he literally just mash them together and put them in the shape of a brain? Right. It's not mechanical, really. Like, it's it's in, like, a cathode ray tube, and he has little, like, mad scientist uh, levers and electricity and stuff around it. But it's not like it's a mechanical brain, really. It's just a big brain in a mechanical housing. We're not losing the personalities of the people whose brains these are later on in the film. He's still addressing them and they're addressing themselves as the three individual people that make up this tri brain. Yeah. It's an odd setup. Like anytime there's disembodied brains and things like that's always kind of enough for me. I never really want or need more of an explanation, but this is the one where I'm like, okay, no, 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 we gotta, we gotta really zero in on this and, and you have to explain what this is. Okay. That's the poll quote for this episode. Disembodied brain. That's enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, how could I not be charged by a movie that has a brain of three scientists put together vampire ape men like just those two elements are you know that's enough to sell it it's weird that those are the things that they seem to be trying to cover up with the like branding you know for the american version of this yeah yeah i don't know i guess i don't know how i would advertise this at the time if i was like doing the dub and stuff i guess i'd try to cover that stuff up too yeah yeah i don't know how i would do it though yeah i don't know i think they had no other choice (laughs) yeah like i guess yeah because you either have to go like i don't know they're death robots or you have to take the same amount of time that you and i are taking to be like they're sasquatch zombie robot vampires clones i don't know what they are (laughs) like and that doesn't really fit in in the characters mouths you know no no no, think up to their to their speaking voices death robots I, i just i have to assume there's something lost in translation that the word in spanish doesn't have the same definition that we do for the word robots you know, it's, yeah. it's an automaton, it's a, a zombie, an animated corpse. There's something there. Yeah, like homunculi. Yeah. That's like a word for an organic robot, basically. Like, but in the 60s, nobody knows homunculi. Like, right. you can't just be like, and if you're advertising the guy as the atomic Superman, the rest of the title has to be something that seems like a problem that only an atomic Superman could solve. Exactly. So you got to be like, death robots. That's what we're doing. What would a death robot look like? If there was a death robot and we're not looking at this film, what would a death robot look like? I like to think it would be a robot skeleton. Okay. Terminator style, but a little more uh, Harryhausen-y. Huh. That'd be a fun one to have a luchador fight if Harryhausen did like stop motion robot skeleton effects for a, for a luchador movie. We're going off the path here and that's okay. <laughs> you say that and my immediate, my, my immediate reaction, my brain immediately flashes to the Jason the Argonaut skeleton fight. Yes. But instead of skeletons, they're Terminators. <laughs> They're, they're T-1000s, you know, they're the, the skinned version. It's not the Arnold version. This is going down a, another slight rabbit hole, but we can return right after this. It would be uh, so cool to see. This is what the Terminator movie should be doing now. They should be doing Terminators in different historical times. Oh, yeah. You have a story with time travel. What are you doing? Have an Old West Terminator movie. Like, what? Why? why are we not funding this? <laughs> But, you know, if anybody wants to have me make an Old West Terminator movie, then uh, just let me know and pay me for it. (laughs) I'll direct it. (laughs) So that's the theme for this episode of the podcast. Jonathan wants funding for like four or five different really wacky ideas. For anything. All of my movie ideas end up really, (laughs) really insane and bizarre. Well, you're the guy behind X meets Y. So, yeah. That's true. That's kind of the whole vibe is trying to make some uh, weird nonsense. So... (laughs) 
Now, but now I do want to see a Terminator film where they go further back in time than I got a whole pitch. I'll, I could I could line it up, but uh, you know I don't I don't want somebody stealing it. Well, yeah, <laughs> James know. Cameron, listener to Monster Kid Radio, he's going to take that <laughs> idea. Now, I, admittedly, I have not seen the last few Terminator films. The last one I saw was actually Terminator Three, so I don't know if they say in any. That's of probably the a movies. good choice. Yeah, I don't know if they say yeah. anywhere else if. Um, there's a limit to how far back they can go. I don't know if that's ever established, but yeah, they should be going back. They should find a Connor you know, before they even immigrated to America and just sink the boat, you know, whatever. Yeah. And there's like, if you don't even want to do like the Connor family, which I think would be a, a good way to do it. But if, even if you don't want to do that, you could have it be like, there's this one specific place that needs this one specific thing that eventually will be used in the factory to make Terminator. You know, like the whole thing with the Terminators, they're trying to, make sure that they exist and that they're, they're trying to erase their enemies. You know, there's other ways you can make that a compelling anyway. Okay. We got to actually get back to the, <laughs> the actual movie. This is kind of what happens on your podcast. <laughs> this is what happens on my podcast. This is why you should come on my podcast. Oh man. It terrifies me. The idea of being on your podcast is scary to me, man. <laughs> it, just, it really is. That just makes you want to have you on more. Though, I know. I know. I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> We'll, we'll make it happen eventually. Anyway. I'll work you. I'll work you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, back in the movie, the ape vampires are sent out. Nick takes them out on the town so they can drain people of blood to feed the three brain. And the cops show up <laughs> to one of the crime scenes and go like, oh, man, looks like vampires did this. That's weird. <laughs> And that's, that's like a whole scene. It's a whole scene, but it's also the extent of the investigation, really. It's like, oh, that's, yeah, that's they odd. Just, they just wait there for Neutron, and then Neutron shows up and is like, wait, va- vampires, though? And they're like, yeah, it looks like vampires. And he's like, okay, I guess I'm looking for vampires. <laughs> I guess that's what we're doing. Oh, man. And In fact, there's a quote that I also put in my notes Okay, uh, from one of the uh, cops on the scene. A lot of people have been seeing vampires and calling us. You'd think that would stir a bigger reaction. <laughs> nope. Just one detective and a couple of beat cops. Oh, yes. Yes. The vampire calls. I remember hearing about that in the break room. It's like, why? No. It's, <laughs> that's a thing. That's if a this thing. was a Santo movie, I could understand it because it feels like the cops, like the authorities in Santo movies have really seen everything. Yeah. But I don't know that the Neutron universe has frequent vampire attacks. Sure. <laughs> It's just, I love how much the describing the plot of this movie is just like hitting yourself over the head with a hammer where you're like, I don't know what's going on. Anymore. It really is. And, and to be clear, listeners, dear listeners, I am not going to edit out all the giggling and laugh fits here. We are having a blast talking about the movie, even though it's not the best. <laughs> it is a delight. <laughs> it really is. It's a, it's a delight that you probably, it's like the bad dessert for you with tons of yes. sugar. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's it's still a delight nonetheless. It is certainly worth watching. It is certainly worth enjoying, at least in my opinion. Sure. Like it is constantly surprising in a lot of ways that make it really fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And and it does something a little bit different. I mean, if you're looking for a luchador Mm -hmm. movie that doesn't follow the same story structure or tropes that Santo and Blue Demon do head over to Neutron. You get something a little bit different, but still kind of in the wheelhouse. Yeah. I mean, how many movies have a luchador chasing an ape vampire back to its base and then the ape vampire rips off its own head. So it's not followed. (laughs) 
Like, how many times does that happen in a movie? And I love that that sentence just came out of your mouth with almost <laughs> no interruption. Just how many no, times does that happen? A, I mean, you know. Completely reasonable. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> uh, Neutron uses a flamethrower against him at one point. Mm-hmm. He's just flamethrowing ape men. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> This has just become so stream of consciousness. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know where we are even in the story at this point. I, I think we can safely jump ahead to Dr. Carante uh, capturing Professor Thomas and Nora. Because mm-hmm. he wants Professor Thomas to, I guess, complete the formula from the three scientists that are in the three brain thing. Sure. I don't know why they can't do it. Maybe they're not aware that they're in a big three brain. <laughs> sure. It, it raises a lot of questions. There, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's an evil neutron as well. There's like a neutron impersonator. Yeah. Which really seemed to come out of the blue for me. And I was like, what? I, I don't, what? The cops just take it for granted that neutron has suddenly turned against them. Which feels weird, too. Like, I know that's like a superhero thing of being like, well, he's behind the mask. We can't trust him. Right. It, it completely comes out of nowhere because, like, Neutron arrives at the scene the same time the cops do. Yep. And the cops are like, well, he was on the phone with us and he said, Neutron's here when he disappeared. So it must have been you. Nah, man. <laughs> like, clearly it's not. Why would why would it be? The, the investigative skills on display here. Um Man, these police officers are something else. It is like Gotham City levels of uselessness. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's even fair to say to Gotham City. I mean, it's just... That's true. They're they're like Detective Harvey Bullock from Gotham City (laughs) levels of uselessness. (laughs) I mean, at least if a vampire showed up in Gotham or some body drained of blood, there'd be a bigger reaction than, oh, well, you know, we did get a couple of calls about vampires lately. It'd be a little bit more than that. (laughs) Yeah, I think Commissioner Gordon would at least be like, we should follow up on this case. This seems important. (laughs) This seems like something we should pay attention to. Yeah. Maybe a little. Yeah. (laughs) There's, uh, I'm trying to, like, I'm just looking through my notes and I'm like, wait, this happens in this movie? There's a pit of monkey men that I completely forgot about until just now. (laughs) There's like a whole pit. Doesn't he threaten to push Nora into it? Yeah, like the evil Neutron is going to like throw her down in. And I guess that's what Carante is using to motivate Professor Thomas to help him complete the formula. He calls her, like, what does she, he say? Like, she'll be a great morsel for them or something along those lines. It's just kind of, that, that, that's gross. Also, <laughs> like, he was only, he was growing like three of them and now he has like a basement full of them. Sure. That they're just standing around. Like, why didn't he send all of those to go get Neutron? There's like 30 of them. I I got nothing, man. Explain it to me, Derek. I got nothing. <laughs> Villains are dumb. I don't know. It's just, I don't understand. That's the catchphrase for the movie. <laughs> Villains are dumb. <laughs> There's also some stuff about a bomb that gets lost. Honeymooners at an airport take a bag with a bomb in it by accident. And Neutron has to go get it. And the bomb looks like a sea urchin made of metal. So before Neutron tries to find it the police are going to try to find it for the 
there's like nine couples that came off this airplane from Los Angeles and they're going to go to each couple's house to make sure they don't accidentally have the bomb, but they don't look in the suitcases. It's, Hey, is that your suitcase? Yep. Okay. Thanks. And then just move on. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to bother you. Yep. (laughs) I can't believe that you said these were bad cops. They seem like they're so effective. They know what questions to ask, I guess. (laughs) They know the one question to ask, which is, is that your bag? Oh, okay. (laughs) The thing is, so the bag is the same size as the other one, but they are different colors, right? I did catch that. They are like different patterns. They are. Yeah. I'm still confused by how the bomb ends up in the bag at turnstile at the airport. If getting the formula is so important, how does Carante have it to make the bomb to put in the airport to threaten the world with to make Professor Thomas help him make the bomb that's in the bag at the airport. Yes. Is that a different bomb? I don't know. Could he, did he just have one laying around, but he doesn't know how to replicate it? I I don't know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> These are just a few of the questions that I've had yeah. after watching Neutron, the Atomic Superman. And conveniently, the honeymooning couple that took the wrong bag, which isn't something that is orchestrated by the villains, the bad guys in this film. They just kind of slip the bag next to them, hoping, I guess, that they're not paying attention enough to where they do grab the wrong bag as they walk away. And they're just so enamored with each other. It's a honeymooning couple, like you said. And they're just staring into each other's eyes as they walk off, grabbing the wrong bags as they go. And, you know, how many things had to fall just right in place for the villains to even get this far? It's so many steps along the way that are unclear. (laughs) Like there's, there's why put it at the airport? Do they want someone to take it and take it home so that the cops wouldn't know where it is? If they did that, why tell the cops that it's at the airport just to cause chaos? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Nothing about, nothing about the last half of this movie (laughs) follows at all. Yeah. Or the first half really, but the first half, you just go like, oh, I must have missed it in the last movie. I'm thinking there are some things that may be missing here, but who knows? Yeah. I, yeah. But uh, but even if there are things that are missing, that would be a failing of this film because it's not like people can just go rent the previous movie and watch it to get caught up. And I think I think it has to come from the original film, too, because it's so unclear in such a specific structural way for the movie where it's okay. Carante wants the bomb, but he's going to put the bomb in a thing. And then eventually he's going to come back when the cops find the bomb and neutrons also going to be coming for the bomb and they're going to fight. And then Carante is going to run away to his car and drive back to his lab so that neutron can follow him there so that they can have the final showdown. That's not even a scripting problem. That's just nobody knowing how stories work. Which again is so weird because the director also wrote the thing. (laughs) It's bizarre. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's like a free form approach to storytelling where they're just improving every scene. Maybe that's where the atomic part of everything comes from. You know, it's so atomic that it's so beyond our, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Like in the fifties atomic just means whatever. So that yeah. just carried over into, into this. Film. I also was kind of, I was going to say awestruck, but probably gobsmacked is the best word to use. Enamored. Ena- oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> I was enamored with how they decide they need to destroy the three brains. <laughs> There's no talking to whatever consciousness is left in these things to say, hey, by the way, no. we're going to kill you now. It's just we got to destroy them because they're going to be used by the bad guys. Uh, well, how do you do that? They've been drinking blood, so anything else will work. 
Okay. <laughs> I just love the idea of there are these three scientists. What would the difference be if Neutron had arrived and there were just three scientists tied up together? Right. And their intelligence was being used by the villain. Would Neutron still be like, ah, we got to shoot these guys in the head. They're too dangerous to be left alive. Right. And then after they destroy the brain, Neutron's like, okay, you guys go ahead. I'm going to go break something now. <laughs> <laughs> And then Neutron and Caronte just hit each other for like 10 minutes back and forth. Hey, you know, those punches were good. They were some good punches. It's a great fight, but all the dialogue feels like WWE dialogue. They're just yelling things of like, well, I'm the good guy, so I got to say this. And then the bad guy's like, well, I'm the bad guy, so I got to say this back. And they just do that for a long time. Yeah. It is a it is a long fist fight, and uh, I think the punches did work really well. I think they sold them really well. So some mm. good stunt work, if nothing else, for that scene. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good set. The The lair set of Dr. Cronte is really cool looking. It's a cool lab. When they set it on fire at the end, it's really interesting, too. <laughs> they have a big explosion. <laughs> yeah. Because little Nick can pull the big switch, which is just horrible that that's what this comes down to. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> It's just, I just looked at my notes again, and I have an exchange between Caronte and Neutron as they're fighting. As I think I just wrote it down as an example of the generic dialogue. But Caronte is like, together, you and I could rule the world. And Neutron goes, you could not. My job is to destroy you. And Caronte replies, we could be invincible. And Neutron says, I'm still not interested. Cool. <laughs> cool, guys. That's a conversation. That's what people sound like when they talk. Cool. I'm still not interested. Oh. I appreciate your offer to rule the world together, but no thanks. It's like, meh. My job's to destroy you. I'm good. It's just more fun to beat you up and destroy your house. Yeah. And to go back to the lab, I thought the lab looked great. And even the neutron bomb, it does look like a metallic sea urchin mixed with maybe like Sputnik. Yeah. It's really kind of cool looking, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and it's kind of, it's got the guts, the mechanical guts inside that they're working with and all that. And I thought that was, you know, they didn't skimp on the prop there. It was kind of nice. And then they do burn down the lab. And even there's a, a bit where Karante gets punched and kind of pushed up against a, a slab that's on fire now. Mm -hmm. and so again, decent stunt work. Yeah, definitely. Really, the script is where this movie falls down in general because yeah. the effects are not worse than the other Luchador movies. The acting is not really worse than the other Luchador movies, but it's just that like we've been saying, it feels more like an impression of what a Luchador movie is than it feels like a Luchador movie. Yeah, there are some echoes of them, but you know. Yeah, they're just going through the motions and it just doesn't feel like at any point they were passionate about it, really. I mean, Karate probably was because his acting is pretty delightful, but. Oh, and he's great. I, I think he was more interesting to watch than Neutron, which yeah. tells you something about the film, I suppose. Yeah, Karate, like. Uh, With the exception of leading Little Nick around. Though that, like, adds to his character, too. <laughs> It does kind of, yeah. It's always a thing in superhero movies that the villains are always more interesting than the heroes. And this movie has that so much. Karante is so charismatic. It needs blood. Lots of blood. <laughs> like he's so he's so big and hammy and his like weird affection for Nick and his weird monkey men. I wanted the movie to be more just about Karante. <laughs> I don't need Neutron in this. 
Yeah, that's the thing, right? It's a fine line. You got this balance. You got to have a really awesome villain for the hero to really display how awesome they are against the villain. In this case, I feel like Neutron just failed to live up to the the challenge, I suppose, in terms of charisma and presence and yeah, holding he, a story together. <laughs> he just doesn't have a gimmick, and Karante has like five gimmicks. So it just makes him more interesting. That all said, I've lost track of how many times we've just kind of dissolved into fits of <laughs> laughter. It's a fun movie to watch. I mean, it's kind Fair. of outrageous and absurd and surrealist and just, <laughs> man, there's a lot of it that just does not hold together. And again, I'm guessing a lot of it has to do with the translation yeah. and the dubbing. At least I hope so. It doesn't help. It's like if you ran something that was already bad through Google Translate twice, where it started as bad and confusing, but now it's incomprehensible, you know? Yeah. yeah. You nailed it, man. I think that sums it up. <laughs> that, that pretty much does. Um, we've probably spent more time trying to understand this story than people spent writing the story. But, you know, like I said, it's fun. Uh, Neutron is an interesting look for a luchador hero in these movies. He does not mm. have the traditional, like, barrel-chested kind of thicker stance. He looks more like a... I don't even want to say bodybuilder because he's not super bulky. I mean, he's in good shape. Yeah, he's kind of got like a kickboxer yeah. look to him. Like he's like lean muscle. Like again, to the Daredevil comparison, yeah. he's got like a boxer's yeah. kind of physique. Whereas like Santo and the rest of them, they, they have more like a, a rounded, barrel-y kind of, you yeah. know, and, and that's just as tough, if not more so. You know, I, I get it. So he doesn't really look like the traditional and that he's wearing black, but he's a hero just kind of still rubs me a little wrong. Yeah. And like his only gimmick is that nobody can figure out who he yeah. is, which is every superhero. Gimmick. Basically. Like even at the end, at the end, they do a whole thing <laughs> where uh, professor Thomas is, oh, maybe I'll find out who you are someday. Neutron. Maybe he's any one of these three guys who are trying to court Nora, or maybe he's all of you. And, and I was like, oh, that's, that's like an interesting gimmick. If multiple people take on the same, superhero identity that's a story tell me that that story. is a story tell me that story that was just a throwaway line at the very 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 end of this film yeah i want to know that one because that sounds interesting to me that sounds unique you don't see that they're wearing masks so why not i, I think it would kind of work as a cool little it would be so because cool, you could have them have different skill sets oh well today the character of neutron that all three of us are playing he's gonna go up against somebody strong so we need a strong man to be neutron and then the next day, he's got to be fast. So we need somebody who can sprint real good to be Neutron. It's a bit like the Green Hornet thing where there's the hero himself and then there's the public perception of the hero. And I feel like more superhero stories should play with that. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. the Green Hornet is a superhero pretending to be a supervillain. And that's always a really interesting idea for me. And I feel like this could have been something like that, but it just mm -hmm. wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I feel like of the four films that I'm talking about uh, this month for Lucha de Mayo, um, <laughs> see, I screw it up once, and then it's forever unlocked in my head. It's, anyway, for this month, this is actually, even though this episode is going out the second week of May, this is the final recording that I'm doing for the Luchador films. So Jonathan was the last one that I wanted to get in. So I've already talked about the other movies with the other people that are going to be on the show later this month. I don't even remember where I was going. I got stuck on the Mayo thing. <laughs> I was just going to say, this must have been, at least for you, a good palate cleanser of moving from luchador movies to, to something else because of how weirdly deconstructive this discussion of this movie has been. Yes. Yeah. It's. <laughs> I, I can almost say I've seen it all this month with the different things that, that 
I've covered and will be covering later on this month for the show with this film. Uh, we talked a little bit about how some of the luchadors are superheroes, basically. In fact, one of the movies that's coming up, the luchador hero has superpowers, literal superpowers. Hmm. He teleports and nobody seems to think it's a big deal. And it's not just, oh, how'd you get here so fast? You actually see him dissolve from the screen in front of you. And nobody really seems to blink an eye at it. Yeah, I suppose he could go the other way and get too extreme with your superpowered luchadors. But still, this one needed a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of almost want a luchador movie that has the Superman style of powers, especially from like the 60s and 70s, where sure. every time they needed Superman to get out of a jam, they were like, I don't know. He has super ventriloquism. Who cares? Here it goes. Here's the story. You like it? Whatever. Go <laughs> Buy the next comic. Yeah, I like that. Well, so wow. this movie is available. Uh, you can get it on Amazon Prime. And I know that Juan at Fifth Dimension Films also sells a number of the Neutron movies. I'm sure it's available out there. If you uh, are so motivated to see this film, I, I think you should. Yes. It's definitely an interesting take on the luchador subgenre. And it is a little deconstructive because it does, yeah, things. It feels like a cover band. <gasps> That's it. <laughs> oh my god we've cracked the case <laughs> oh man so jonathan mm -hmm. we've mentioned x meets y a few times we did not talk about it at the very beginning of the recording that's right x meets y podcast what is it i've taken it for granted now that i've been doing it a bit <laughs> yeah i know but i still want people to know about it because it's such a cool idea mm -hmm. and that you still yes. and it hasn't lost any of its appeal because it's so different every single time yeah, well, that's what we aim for. Like for anybody who doesn't know, basically each episode, I and a rotating cast of guests will uh, randomly select two movie titles and then have half an hour to combine them into a totally new, totally original movie idea. That's the general pitch for it that I give at the beginning of every episode. We try to get some weird combinations. We try to come up with some genuinely good movie ideas that are inspired by these weird combinations. One that's coming up relatively soon that I'm very excited about is The Cat in the Hat Meets the Witch, <laughs> which was a lot of fun to do. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it, that that's the kind of weird matchup that we kind of aim for. Um, we also just recently released National Treasure Meets the Matrix, which was one of my favorite episodes that I've done in a long time on X Meets Y, which I've been doing for like two years, a little over two years now. But if anybody wants to check it out, please do. I, I'm very proud of it. I, I really enjoy making it. New episodes every other Wednesday. Come check it out. xmeetsy.libson.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And again, link in the show notes. All right, man. Next time we have you on, we'll find something that's got a lot more depth. We'll figure out something that's a little more like a story, you know? Yeah, yeah. Something that has, <laughs> you know, like a beginning, middle, and end. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but, you know. That is a lot to ask, you know? <laughs> The incredible Black Beauty slices through the night with the Green Hornet and Cato at the wheel. Why is this man sought by those on both sides of the law? When he means my life, I've got to get away. Tell me who has the gun in your life is guaranteed. By me. You have my word. Let me warn you about the Green Hornets. I can flood the world diamond market with your perfect imitations. I can make you millions. 
He's not the two-bit kind of thug you're used to dealing with. He's clever and he's dangerous. Master criminal or brilliant crime fighter. Who is the Green Hornet? The Green Hornet in color on ABC. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Richard Carlson. If I look somewhat older and more drawn than I have in my recent pictures, it's because of the harrowing experiences I've been having here in The Maze. The Maze is the first picture in three dimension that delves into the weird and terrifying world of the supernatural. If you're familiar with the exciting effects that can be achieved with 3D, you can imagine what happens when something from the great beyond reaches right out of the screen to clutch at you. Oh, and one more thing. After you've seen the maze, please don't reveal to your friends the secret of its story or its startling climax. Because, you see, we think the maze will amaze you. Shipwreck survivor, unknown forces lie in wait at Frankenstein Island. What have you done? Why are you in this cell? What have I done? What do I do? I'll show you. Look. It could be a scientific breakthrough. But where would it end? What sacrifice of the psyche would be considered extreme when humans are used for experimentation? Ruthless science finds no limit, no boundary, and all because of the obsessions of one man. Mark, I want you to listen to me. We've been friends a long time. Now you owe something to that friendship. Oh, Doc, you were yourself. You wouldn't be asking me to do anything different. Why, they've been feeding you dope ever since you got here. Strange beings exist at Frankenstein Island. Strange compulsions. A secret lab with seven million volts of power. It's a mind warp. Frankenstein Island. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I hope you're enjoying the Lucha de Mayo experience this year. I'm having a blast. Really kind of trying to tap into some Luchador movies that we don't normally hear about or talk about here on the show, tackling some subjects that we don't normally tackle here on Monster Kid Radio during this month or any other month of the year, really, quite frankly. This Neutron movie was an interesting pick, and I'm glad Jonathan brought it to the table. I know, and I said this during the recording, I know that Jonathan and I just had a laugh going through that recording. I did edit out a lot of the laughter because there was just so much of it. Bottom line, as much as we were laughing at the movie, we were also laughing with each other and just had a grand time watching this thing. There's a reason why Mystery Science Theater riffed this film, or it might have been the Rift Tracks people at that point, but there's a reason why this movie gets riffed. It's got some goofiness, but 
it's also got a lot of charm and I had a blast. I'm also really looking forward to next week because Kenny's back on the show to talk about a movie with me and he's bringing his blue demon goodness, blue demon and the infernal brains. It's also had a few other titles, but we're going to go with that one. That's oh boy. That's a good one. Really, really cool. And is the movie I was referring to earlier in the conversation with Jonathan about another movie that had scientists brains being stolen by a master criminal and, Anyway, you just have to come back next week to hear all about that film. Should be a good time. Also, next week, we'll go over any listener feedback that we happen to get here on the show between now and then. If you want to call in and leave us a voicemail, please feel free to do so at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Or if you want to send us an email, you can do that at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. This is available over on our website, as is everything else that we've talked about during this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Links to those books that Jonathan's involved with, links to my book, links to the Mexican Masked Wrestler and Monster Filmography book. And you know what? Kenny mentioned the Bride of Frankenstein novelization during his famous Monsters of Filmland segment. Now, this book is currently out of stock, but... It has been reissued. It is something you can order right now on Amazon, and you'll get notified as soon as more copies become available. And I'll make sure there's a link to that as well, the Amazon affiliate link that you can use to help us out whenever you buy something at Amazon. I don't know if they're still doing it, but as of this recording, Public has been doing a sale up to 35% off everything, and that includes everything in the Monster Kid Radio Public shop. Link in the show notes for that. Or just look up Monster Kid Radio over on Public. Oh, and I did play a song in the middle of this episode, right before the conversation with Jonathan. I thought you'd like to know that that was from the band The Nick Adams. The song was called El Santo, The Silver Masked Avenger. It's from their album In the 25th Century. The Nick Adams is no more. The band disbanded years ago, but before they did, they gave me the okay to run their music on my podcasts. So there you go. There will also be a link to my It's Pronounced Cook YouTube channel. This is my personal YouTube channel where I do talk about other things than monster movies. I know, I know. It's okay. I, I do have things other than monster movies in my life. And I do talk about that over at It's Pronounced Cook. But the reason I mention it here is because I do talk a little bit about what's going on with Monster Kid Radio as well as the It's Pronounced Cook YouTube channel. So I'll make sure there's a link to that as well. Or you can just look up It's Pronounced Cook on YouTube. In that case, I do spell Cook, C-O-O-K, because that's how it's pronounced, even though my last name is spelled a little different. Anyway, link in the show notes to that. As well as a link to Jonathan Inbody's short film, Unearthed. And until next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported License, except for the song... Me and him are going to beat you up. Man, I love that title. That song is copyright 2020, Beware the Dangers of a Ghost Scorpion. You can find them over at ghostscorpion.bandcamp.com. You can buy this single right now for a dollar. And keep your eyes out because I've got a full album coming up very soon. And listeners, between you and me, I've heard some of it. It's good. It's real good. Big thanks to that band for letting us play their music here on the show and for their support of Monster Kid Radio over the years. Check them out, buy their stuff, and when you do, let them know that you heard them over here on Monster Kid Radio. My name's Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week or maybe this Saturday if you hop over to Twitch. Ciao.